0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this Wednesday. My goodness, do we have a lot to get into in all the world of sports, particularly in the National Basketball Association, the obvious leading story in just about every show on television and podcasts, radio shows, etc. My, myself included, Draymond Green getting in trouble uh, once again. I'm a... Massive Golden State Warriors fan. I'll lead that show, or I'll lead lead the show off with that topic in just a moment. Also, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, you Packers fans, you didn't think just the Draymond story and Bryson's best ten coming up in an hour, and and uh, carving up the context surrounding Cam Newton's recent comments uh, about a half hour to forty minutes from now. You didn't think I was just gonna let you skate by now, did you? You didn't think I was just going to ignore the fact that I did predict the New York Giants to not just cover, but to full-blown get the upset and do so on a walk-off field goal, uh, which is exactly, of course, what the GM and Tommy DeVito uh, were able to do. I'll get into that in about 15 to 20 minutes at at the end of today's show. Uh, Listen. I'd be lying to you if I said I cared cared about the game between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. But nonetheless, got to predict it. If it was on Sunday, it would no doubt be Bryce's bleak bet. Okay, we got Easton Stick off uh, the quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers against Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders. So, times are rough for those teams. Before we get into any sports, though, before we get into any Draymond Green Golden State Warriors the whole bit, I did want to lead my show off quickly. I shouldn't say quickly, uh, as if to sound dismissive, but I did want to to bring this up. But Or because in the last or since carving it up ended on Monday night a little less than 48 hours ago, uh, we have a major announcement. Carving it up live, I can officially confirm, has surpassed 600 subscribers on YouTube. So shout out to all those out there who have supported this show uh, from day one. Thank you so much to y'all and support. been fantastic. Uh, listen, uh, I-, I started carving it up on YouTube. In January of 2021. I remember that day, the next day on that show, my, I might have actually been wearing this hoodie for all I can remember. I know I was wearing a blue hoodie that day, but uh, it was my first live podcast. I had done carving it up since October of 2019. I was talking about the Buccaneers getting to the Super Bowl and all the, the you know, a lot of NFL stories at that point and NBA stories at that time. And to think almost three years uh, to the day, or I shouldn't say almost three years to the day, but nearly three years later, getting to 600. Again, as I said from the get go, the road to 1,000 subscribers. Subscribers, I said before the football season, when I was around, gosh, 180, some subscribers, somewhere in that ballpark, I said, I'm, I'm going to shoot for the stars, go for the moon, and like, like John F. Kennedy said in the 60s, go for the moon and get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. We have surpassed 600 subscribers, so thank you. I cannot thank you enough for taking a couple seconds out of your day to hit that big red subscribe button and support the show. Support uh, me and support carving it up live. I cannot tell you the support uh, or how much the support means. Uh, Listen, I try to put on the best show that I can for you guys. I take a lot of pride in it. And if you're going to take the time out of your day to watch me, the, the least I can do is to give you the best product possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for putting your time into watching the show and into subscribing the show. And again, if you have not subscribed to Carving Up Live, hey, just takes a couple seconds. If you're watching on YouTube, not if you're watching on Twitter. If you're watching on Twitter, go over, come on over to YouTube. If you're on YouTube, the Carving it Up Podcast YouTube channel, hit that big red subscribe button right, let me angle my finger right down. Let me do my other, other finger right down there. That one right there, the red one says subscribe, hit it, and become part of the Carving Up family. But once again, 600 subscribers to the show. Cannot tell you how much I appreciate the love and support by each and every one of you. Uh, you y- y- y'all you make this show what it is, okay? The show means nothing without the audience. So thank you, thank you so much to every single one of y'all out there. And I promise that was not to delay the Draymond Green thing. <laughs> I promise you out there, okay? I did want to give love where love is to Anytime I hit a milestone, want to give love to the incredible audience watching it and listening. All right. But first, oh boy, got to go to the NBA. Got to go to my Golden State Warriors. I'm wearing my Warriors hoodie today. Got to support my team. Because we, as in the Warriors, lost 119-116 to 116 to the Phoenix Suns. Mind you, the Kevin Durant-less Phoenix Suns. This Phoenix Suns team where Bradley Beal, who's played all, or came into this game playing all but three games and was coming off of an injury. Beal was fine. Uh, the, the last night, Beal was able to con- contribute uh 16 points of five for 12 shooting. So still kind of working himself into the lineup. Nonetheless, Golden State fell to 10 and 13 on the season. We are currently at the 11th seed, and obviously, 23 games into the year, a lot of lot of basketball left to go, 59 games to be exact. But if the season were to end today, the Golden State Warriors would not even be in the play-in tournament, much less the real playoffs. So the big story, though, Draymond Green, and we will play the tape uh, for you guys on this show. For those that have not seen it, Draymond Green ejected for a flagrant two foul on Yusuf Nurkic. You see him whip his, his fist around, hit Nurkic. Uh, Nurkic is, is is guarding Draymond. Draymond just whips around, knocks, or I should say knocks Nurkic out, but... Almost sucker punches him because Nurkic is clearly not watching. And thank God it didn't injure Yusuf uh, as much as it potentially could have. Again, we're showing the replay over and over. Draymond was ejected. Flagrant 2 equals automatic ejection. This is Draymond's third ejection in the last month. Third this season, obviously. And only four weeks removed from the incident with Rudy Gobert, in which uh, Draymond obviously put Rudy Gobert in a chokehold when in the scuffle between the Warriors and the Timberwolves about a month ago. So, lot to unpack from this. First and foremost, I do want to let Draymond tell his side of the story and then have Nurkic tell his side of the story. So the first soundbite we'll play is from Draymond Green. The second is from Yusuf Nurkic. Take a listen. Uh, he was pulling my hip and I was swinging away to sell the car, made contact with him. Um, as you know, I'm not one to... Apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, Seth. Um because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell calls with my arms. I don't fall to sell a call. I don't I'm not a flopper. So I was just selling the call because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I spun away, and unfortunately, I hit him. And so, like I said, I apologize to you, Seth. Um, because I didn't intend to hit him. What's going on with him? I don't know. Personally, I feel like that brother needs help. And I'm glad he not try to choke me, but at the same time, and nothing to do with basketball, man. Like I'm just out there trying to play basketball. You know, they're swinging. I think we saw that often, but um, hope he, you know, whatever he got in his life, will get better. So. Okay. So. Um... Where do we start? So first of all, this goes without saying, but what Draymond Green did, simply put, was uncalled for uh, in regard to to the swing on Yusuf Nurkic. This is uh, yet another flagrant two foul. This is three ejections in the last month. So I said this in the moment. I put it on social media, put it on YouTube, put it on Instagram, TikTok, the whole bit. I said... If I'm the Golden State Warriors, and I should have clarified further, so I will uh, on this show. I said the Warriors need to call the league office and say, no, we'll suspend Draymond Green. No, let, let me reclarify: The Golden State Warriors, whether it be the owner, Joe Lacob, whether it be the general manager, uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr., or whether it be the head coach, Steve Kerr, need to call the league office. If they have not done so already, we're almost 24 hours removed from the incident. Calling Adam Silver, Joe Dumars, uh, Joe Dumars, whoever uh, is is some of the higher ups in the National Basketball Association in New York, I believe is where the league office is. Call them and say, you know what, guys, y'all conduct your investigation. Let us know what you find. We will suspend Draymond because we feel we can make a bigger impact and a bigger statement by suspending him. And this hurts me to say as a Warriors fan because I have this is Draymond Green's third serious incident in the last 15 months. And certainly in the last, if you want to include the, if if you want to go just in the calendar year of 2023 in the last eight months, because he had to stop on Sabonis in game two of the playoffs against Sacramento. He had again, four weeks ago, the chokehold on Rudy Gobert. Now he just straight up punched uh, Yusuf Nurkic. Folks, that was a punch. Okay. Closed fist. He swung around. That was a punch on Rudy Gobert. I'm sorry, on, uh, on Yusuf Nurkic. There's no question about it. And it was completely and utterly uncalled for. I have defended him at every every turn, not just this season or even last season, but throughout his career. Jordan Poole was, was poking the bear. Jordan Poole was arrogant in practice. Jordan Poole was going at the veterans. Jordan Poole was disrespectful to Steve Kerr. He was disrespectful at times to Steph, to Draymond Green. And Draymond Green, his job is to be the enforcer, the emotional leader of the Warriors. Now, did he go too far and just flat out socking him in practice? Probably but then again, we glorify Michael Jordan for doing exactly the same to Steve Kerr. We just don't have the benefit of having the tape to show it. But we know he did because Jordan said so, Phil Jackson said so, and Steve Kerr himself said so. The Sabonis stomp, while I said was egregious, why I said he should have been ejected, an argument can be made. I don't subscribe to it, but an argument can be made. Hey, Draymond never stomps Sabonis if Sabonis doesn't grab his ankle. Okay, so you have that aspect to it. The Rudy Gobert thing, my problem with Draymond is that he held on to Gobert too long. It wasn't that he held on to Gobert, is that he held on to Gobert too long because you can really hurt a person by, by putting him in a chokehold like that. But there was a scuffle between the Warriors and the Timberwolves. Gobert grabbed Clay. And if Draymond is sat idly by like he's in a rocking chair, say, you know what? Yeah, you go you go after my teammate, Clay Thompson. I would think less of Draymond Green than if he did what he did. He held on too long, though. That was the problem. I, sh- I said he should have been given three games, NBA game five, tomato, tomato. It doesn't really matter either way. I don't know what provoked this. Draymond said, you heard in that clip there, that he was trying to draw a foul. Well, then uh, throw your arms up. You don't have to to uh, almost do like a 180, turn around and just knock <laughs> Yusuf Nurkic to the ground. By the way, you, is Yusuf Nurkic fouling Draymond? Sort of, maybe, but he didn't do anything outside of the line, so to speak. He didn't do anything to provoke that. It'd be one thing if Yusuf, like, punch Draymond, like if he had like blindsided Draymond the way that Nikola Jokic, remember when, when Jokic two years ago did it to one of the Morris twins for Miami and it was like this huge thing. He gave the poor guy whiplash. It was terrible. That'd be one thing. Did it, he punched him unprovoked. And again, this is coming from full disclosure. Anybody hasn't watched the show before, I am as big of a Draymond Green fan slash apologist slash defender as there is out there. I love the guy. And that won't change with what happened last night. I will always be a Draymond Green fan. But what needs to be said needs to be said. He's out of control. I don't know if Yusuf Nurkic was referring to, I don't know what's going on in his personal life. I've heard pundits say if if there's anything going on with Draymond personally. We don't know. We can only speculate. But he's out of control. I don't know if it's an anger issue. I don't know if it's a trying to prove a point issue. Because remember the press conference he said when he came back from the five-game suspension with the Gobert incident, Draymond said that I will never apologize for, for playing the way that I play and kind of doubling down. And I kind of warned the, war, the, uh, the Warriors gets this when this whole happened. I said, I think Draymond's going to double down. And I never said something like this might happen, certainly within the last four weeks. But it did. And Draymond's out of control. I want to, just for a moment, I want to look at this camera, this web camera on, uh, on my laptop right now, dead in the eye. Or dead in the camera, dead in the lens, whatever. Okay, And not talk to the audience for just a moment, although you are part of it. I want to talk to Draymond Green for just a sec. I don't know if Draymond will see this, although uh, Draymond will have plenty of free time on his hands. That's, um, that goes without saying, more on what I think his punishment should be in a few minutes. Draymond, are you more about winning, or are you more about your ego? Are you more about proving a point to the league, or are you more about trying to turn a Warrior season that's kind of gone to hell, so to speak, around? Because if you look at the Golden State Warriors, I you look at every other key veteran player there, or at least that's been there for the course of the dynasty, the vast majority of the dynasty, outside of Steph, they've been a virtual disaster. Kevon Looney was so bad, and I've, I've been a big Looney fan for a long time. I said he was the best offensive rebounder in the NBA. He really hasn't been this year, at least thus far. He can turn it around. He's fully capable. But thus far, that's not been the case. Kevon Looney benched in the second half. Andrew Wiggins, who's been nothing short of, of unwatchable over the first month and a half of this season, benched in the second half. Clay Thompson scored seven more points than I did and is shooting sub 40% from three-point range and barely shooting 40% from the field as a whole. And Clay in the fourth quarter, was benched. The Golden State Warriors, if you look at their leading scores... Last night, Steph Curry led the Warriors in scoring with 24, an inefficient 24. He took 24 shots to get just as many points. But this is interesting to me. Steph Curry was the Warriors' leading scorer with 24. The next, not one, not two, not three, not four, five Golden State leading scores. Brandon Pajemski off the bench. Jonathan Kaminga off the bench. Chris Paul off the bench. Dario Sarge off the bench. Moses Moody off the bench. All of them, aside from Sarge, is is somewhat of a veteran. Chris Paul definitely, as he's in his 19th season, but is still very much an impact player in this league, which is why I love the trade back in June. Those five guys were the were the leading scorers after Steph. Then you finally get to Klay Thompson with seven points as a starter. Draymond Green is still an impact player. You know how I know this? Because the Warriors were up five when he got ejected. They lost by three. And for the record, that was a five-point game with five seconds left. So you could say that was virtually a 10-point a turnaround. You know how I know Draymond Green's valuable? Because they're 0-3 in games in which he's ejected. They're 3-5 in games in which he's either ejected or has been suspended for. And I don't anticipate that that's going to get much better. Draymond has been the enforcer for the Warriors. Draymond Green has been the best defensive player for the Warriors this entire dynasty. I say today, and I will always say Steph, and nobody argues this, is the face of the dynasty. This, this this team is not even a championship contender, much less a freaking dynasty, if Steph isn't there. They win championships without Draymond, maybe one or two championships, so to speak. They are not a dynasty if Draymond Green is not in that locker room and on the floor. That is undeniable. He's been the best defensive player, one of the best defensive players in the league. At one point, he was the best defensive player in the kind of the late 2010s uh, era. He's been the de facto point guard, point forward at times for Golden State, getting them in and out of offenses. He plays his best basketball in the playoffs. He's been the emotional leader for the Warriors. And his mental telepathy with Steph and Klay Thompson is outstanding. His basketball IQ is off the charts. So for anybody that says, oh, Draymond Green's doing this because he can't play anymore, don't know what they're talking about, and they clearly do not watch the games. That's what makes it even more frustrating. If Draymond Green was... There in Golden State simply because Steph wanted him to be there, but he really didn't make much of an impact whatsoever. I feel differently. I'd say just move on from Draymond. It's just, but they need him. If Golden State wants to go literally anywhere this year, forget championship, just go anywhere, just get to the playoffs for crying out loud. They need Draymond Green. They need his leadership, they need his his, his toughness uh, for a team that doesn't have a lot of uh big, boisterous guys. Draymond is that. Draymond is a phenomenal defensive player. Draymond is actually having a great season shooting from three-point range by his standards. It's frustrating because he's still an impact player, and he can't help himself because he's out of control. I don't know what the next steps for him are supposed to be. I don't know if it's, it's again, anger management, therapy. I don't know. I have no idea. What I do know is... Golden State's dynasty is about to is cl- about as close to over. I mean, it's 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 on thin ice right now. This is coming from a Warriors fan. The only reason I say it's still even on ice at all is because the Golden State Warriors had the sixth greatest basketball player ever still in his prime at age thirty five. Steph will be thirty six in March. Clay Thompson, Clay, love you, always have, always will. Clay Thompson's washed. Andrew Wiggins is not a difference maker. Neither is Kevon Looney. The difference makers in Golden State are a rookie, Brandon Pajemski, and two, th- two third year players, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, a 19th year player, Chris Paul, and a guy I think this is his eighth year in the league, Dario Saric. Bench guys, have I not said all season long? If you watch, if you, if you check my Twitter, I'm live tweeting every. I watch every Warrior game start to finish. I'm I always it's a constant theme. Man, I love this bench and the starters screw it up. Aside from Steph, obviously. Golden State needs to take the route that the 2022 Lakers took. I'm sorry, the 2023 Lakers took, where it's they seemingly had untradeable assets, but they had a phenomenal player. They actually had two phenomenal players. One could be inconsistent in Anthony Davis. One is uh, phenomenal. We know LeBron James. They made the moves necessary, and they came within four wins away from an NBA Finals. It can be done. There is precedent to do it, and Golden State certainly has the assets. They are nowhere close to a championship, and they're barely even close to what I would call a playoff team, a legitimate playoff team. And Draymond Green's absence is a big reason for that. Draymond has prided himself on being a great teammate. This is not being a great teammate. Point blank. Draymond, are you about your ego? Are you about winning basketball games? Because your impact is still there. If you had to give me a choice, release Draymond Green, trade Draymond Green, or trade Clay Thompson, I'd say Clay, and I wouldn't think twice. And I love Clay. But Draymond is infinitely more impactful to Golden State than Klay Thompson is and I think will continue to be because of his IQ, because of his length, because of his anticipation on offense, and his smarts on defense. You got to clean it up. At some point, the Warriors, the NBA will draw this line of the sand. And you ask Bryson, what do you think the NBA uh, suspension uh, should look like. What do you think a suspension for Draymond Green should look like? Because I, I've heard it post 10, 15, 20. Here's what I'd look at. Because they are going to take Draymond, and this sort of in a different conversation. The NBA is going to take Draymond Green's history into account. I and mean, they took it into account the Savona stomp, which personally I thought was ridiculous because I think Joel Embiid has a far worse history than Draymond Green in regard to flagrant fouls. That's neither here nor there, at least coming into that game. They gave Draymond the one-game suspension then. They gave Dream on the five-game suspension with the Gobert incident. What the heck will they give him now? Because this was unprovoked. This came only four weeks after the previous incidents. This one with this past one with Rudy Gobert, now with Yusuf Nurkic. What will the NBA do? I saw somebody say, hey, a few, or not, I should say a few years ago, about a decade ago, Ron Artest. We know Ron Artest history. Elbow James Harden in the temple and gave him a concussion. I mean, it was, it was nasty. A slow-mo is bad. They gave Ron Artest seven games. And Ron Artest had a history. Here's where I think is different. At least to my knowledge, Ron Artest did not have an over-the-top, uh, uns- for unsportsmanlike to put it mildly, dirty play recently before that. Draymond did. This is very John ja Morant syndrome, where John ja Morant, and this is even close now, what Draymond did is not near as severe as John ja Morant's. It's simply not. But John ja Morant got in trouble in March. Was suspended. Was it seven games, eight games by the NBA? Came back. He reportedly had a meeting with Adam Silver. He said, Hey, I'm not going to do this again. And come two months later in May, he does it again. And so Adam Silver said, Oh, wow, you just you just lied in my lied to my face. Here's your 25 game suspension. If it were me, I give Draymond 15 games. I would not be shocked if it's 20. I, I, I would not be shocked if. It's 20. Steve Kerr's patience. I watched his entire press conference start to finish. It's wearing thin. Not just with this team, because he, if you watch any Steve Kerr press conference, he will... Steve's a straight shooter. He's not going to BS you. He, you, you could tell, look in the man's eyes, how he answered the questions. He does believe in this basketball team. But his patience is wearing thin on Draymond Green. And maybe more importantly, so is Steph Curry's. And we know Steph and Draymond are like... That they are like peanut butter and jelly, they are as tight as tight can be. Steph and Clay are tight, but him and Draymond are like brothers, they are almost inseparable. But even Steph seemed irritated. The Golden State bench, if you look at the play, the faces of the, those guys of the sidelines when Draymond's thrown out, just stone cold. It's like they didn't even care. It's on Draymond. The beauty is, it's in Draymond's hands how he responds, not in Draymond's hands how how. The punishment comes down because it wasn't Draymond's hands, or hand, more specifically, or fist, why this is even a conversation, why he put himself in this position, unprovoked, socking Yusuf Nurkic. Is it more about your ego, Draymond? Or is it more about winning? Only time will tell. We've got a comment here. It looks like, oh, hang on. All right. Patrick Brown. What's up, Patrick? Golden State should suspend Draymond indefinitely, even if it means sitting out until January to send a stern message. Well, the thing is, and that's why I say it's the punish, the investigation and the punishment is going to come from the league office, as, as any punishment does. This, I honest to God believe, I this is what I would do. If I'm the owner, Joe Lacob, general manager, and almost said Bob Myers, it's so weird not to say that. Mike Dunleavy Jr. or the head coach, Steve Kerr, whoever it is, maybe if it's all three on like a, you know, a, a, a multi-person call, Calling Adam Silver, calling league office, and saying, "Let us know when you conclude your investigation. Give us the information. We will hand that suspension and fine down to Draymond Green because it will it will hold a lot more weight coming from Golden State than it will from Adam Silver. I firmly believe that. Uh, so yeah, Draymond Green, let's. This is putting up mildly. Will not be playing basketball. Uh, certainly, this the comment by Patrick there says in, until January, if if not further than that. But uh again I would give him 15 games. It, it, at some point enough is enough. And I still think Draymond's an impact player. I don't think this should be Draymond should be kicked out of the league. Absolutely not. But I heard that this posed earlier on television today and then we'll move on. If Draymond he's done this twice in the last month. Let's say he's gone Let me do some quick math here. Let's say he's gone for 20 games. Okay? So that's one, two, three, four, five. Okay, that's five plus four. That's There's nine games left in the rest of uh, the 2023 calendar year. So Draymond would come back if it's a 20-game suspension in like late January. I think that would be Tuesday, January 30th against the Philadelphia 76ers. So with about two and a half months to go in the regular season. That's a lot of time. If Draymond commits a third, not, not a flagrant foul, not a flagrant one, not a technical foul, none of that. I'm talking about if he commits another dirty act, he's gone for the rest of the season and it's 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 non-negotiable. It's, it's, he's gone. Listen, my Warriors are searching for a lot of answers, particularly in the rotation. Or, or I should say, particularly in the rotation as far as the starters are concerned, which sounds very weird. Like you can count on the bench more than you can the starters. It's odd, which is why I think Kerr, you saw last night, made some changes. I think Mogan going to make some changes. I think Kaminga's going to be in the lineup for Wiggins. In short order, Pajemski might be in the lineup for Clay, Or maybe Chris Paul will be in the lineup for Clay. Both have been infinitely better than clay has been this season because I think Clay's in his own head because the contract stuff, which we got some intel from Shamsharania today that the Warriors offered Clay like a two-year, $48 million extension. He turned it down. Now there's no talks between the two sides whatsoever. And the last thing for Golden State, and then I promise you, I'll move on to the NFL because I know that you're not just here for a Draymond Green show. But Steph Curry, again, I need to mention this, is 35 years old. He's going to be 36 in March. He still looks unbelievable. I still maintain I think he's one of the three best basketball players on planet Earth. If you had to give me, take any player in the NBA for one game, Steph would be amongst my three of LeBron and Jokic. Now, I don't think LeBron is top three. I think he is top five, so he's not far off. I think Jokic is the best player in the world. And as great as Luka's playing, as great as is playing, I definitely haven't seen B prove it in the playoffs. Luka, I have seen it, but I would simply trust Steph more because I've seen him do it more times in high-leverage moments. I feel the same way about Steph at this stage of his career as I felt about LeBron last year. I remember doing a segment almost around this exact time of the year in December of 2022. It might have been December, January, where the Lakers were struggling. They couldn't win games. Anthony Davis was getting hurt, and LeBron was just putting up insane numbers. I said, Lakers, you have—at that time, it was LeBron's fifth year in L.A. I said, LeBron has been in L.A. five years. You've been real contenders once. Don't give me 2021. Phoenix was better. Phoenix got to the finals, came two wins away from a championship. They were not going to win the championship that year, simply put. They weren't. Uh, 2019, they didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, 2020, they won the championship. 22, they added Westbrook, and it was a disaster. And then they started 2022-23 on, on a low note. I feel the same way about Steph. You have one of the greatest. It's not going to need to tell the Warriors this, but you have one of the greatest basketball players who's ever walked this earth. I think number six all time. I think he is banging on the door of the top five greatest basketball players of all time. And he's still in his prime. You can't waste the last few years of peak Steph Curry. You simply can't. A guy of that stature should be playing for titles every single season. Like any other superstar would. I'm not going to write the Warriors off. I simply will not do that. But there needs to be massive changes if they want to stay in the hunt to... Even contend for, forget the, the championship for a playoff spot. And Draymond needs to control himself. It's that simple. he remains to be seen. I did not think I'd be spending a half hour on Draymond Green. But, uh, listen, I had to, that, that's where I'm at. I had to, to kind of empty the, empty my heart, empty my soul. It's a lifelong, and when I say diehard, I mean Diehard Golden State Warriors fan. That's why it hurts me to my core to say what I said about Draymond just now, and what, about Clay being forget past his prime. Clay is washed at this point. That hurts, man. I grew up with those guys. I grew up with Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andre Iguodala. Those guys. So it, it hurts to say that, but I can't. I'm not just gonna ignore what my eyes are telling me. You know, I know sometimes you have folks out there. One of them happens to be running for president who tells you don't believe your eyes. I don't believe in that whatsoever, but I, I did want to mention this uh, as we sort of transition because, you know, the fact of the matter is there was a football game. Well, actually, there was two football games on uh, on Monday night, both highly entertaining. Both came down the wire. There's no question about that, but Packers fans, you didn't think the Draymond Green story was just going to make me ignore what happened at the Meadowlands and MetLife Stadium against the... New York Giants. This is not carving out the context, so I'm not going to use the Deion Sanders phrase that I will get to in about 12 minutes, but um, DJ, drop that track for me. Cheesehead Aussies. Go, Pat, go. Hey. Yeah. Go, Pat, go. One more time. Go, Pat, go. <laughs> you know... I happen to um to be related to a Packers fan. She's actually my sister and she, and she was oh, her and all Packers fans all around Packer Nation. And by the way, the Packers are one of those fan bases, like the Cowboys, like my Steelers, the 49ers. Uh, there's there's certain franchises that just seemingly have a a fan base that, and they travel so well, not just around America but worldwide. A lot of lot of a fa- lot of Packers fans out there. Um, you know, sometimes Sometimes you have moments where you're getting a little nervous. You're like, ah, man, maybe I'm wrong about this Jordan Love kid. But I said last week, even when he played great and outplayed Patrick Mahomes and the Packers beat the Chiefs Sunday Night Football Lambeau Field, I said, oh, I liked what I saw from him. He looks more comfortable, looks more composed, looks more confident. I'm like, let's let's let's, he he might be the guy. But I said, I got to see more. I am not three games, three great games does not a great quarter make because simply put what i'd seen from jordan love in the the packers what are they now they're they're six and seven so jordan love at that point they were six and six the nine games prior hadn't loved what i saw not accurate not great decision making not seemingly that comfortable in the pocket and what do you know what did we see against the new york giants listen it might have very well have meant been the intimidation of old Tommy DeVito having his own Lin Sanity run Linsanity run with the, the Giants. I don't know if it was Mr. and Mrs. DeVito. Uh, I don't know if it was DeVito's agent. Okay, who looks like about how you think a guy a quarterback named Tommy DeVito, about how you think an agent of a guy whose name is that would look. And the Joel Jordan loved, didn't, didn't look so hot. 29, 25, 39, 208. Yards, a touchdown, a inter- an interception. By the way, he also happened to fumble and lose a fumble in this football game. QBR 56, and not bad. Pass rating of 76, right at league average, or right around league average. Matter on the other hand, Tommy DeVito had a QBR 81, pass rating of 113.9, had a touchdown passing. Uh, and throughout the game, he was, uh, He made an impact. He also, by the way, led a couple of scoring drives in which Saquon Barkley punched in, and Mr. DeVito led a game-winning drive when it was all said and done, which I literally predicted on Monday's show the Giants were going to get the upset, and they do so on a walk-off field goal. So thank you very much, Mr. Randy Bullock, for knocking that through the uprights. By the way, coming to America... Shout out coming to America, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall. They literally predicted this game 35 years ago. You can Google that. Uh, they said the Giants would win on Monday night, or not Monday night football. They said the Giants would win a night game against the Packers on a walk-off field goal. So there you go. All that to say, um I've kind of told you so. Because a lot of the narrative around the Packers, and I last week on Bryce's best 10, I put them right there at number 10. I said, let's see if they've got it. Let's see if they can go into a Monday night football game as the better team, as the favorite, five and a half points to be exact, uh, with a team that's got a a lot to play for. Yes, the Giants were coming off of a bye. Yes, they have a great coach in Brian Dable, which is part of the reason I picked the Giants to win this game. Let's see if they have the emotional maturity of a, a serious playoff team to come in as a favorite off of a big win. And when the world tells you you're great, and they laid an egg. Now, props to Jordan Love. I will give him love here. No pun intended. He led that that drive at the end to put the Packers up by one. It was at, at that point, it was 20, was it 22 to 21 uh, over the Giants. They failed in the two-point conversion. He threw the touchdown. It was an impressive drive, albeit the drive never happens, if not for a Saquon Barkley fumble. But that's not the no there. He, he executed that last drive. He gave him props where it's due. But the decision-making, ugh. Missing the layup throws, ugh. Comfort, comfort the pocket, Didn't look so hot. I'm not saying Jordan Love is a bust. I'm not saying the Packers should move on from Jordan Love. I'm not implying that whatsoever. And the fact of the matter is they're six and seven at this point. We anticipate they'll win some more games. I'm not saying that. I picked, I picked them to win six games before the season. They're not going to lose out. That's not going to happen. Um, but they're too they're in too deep now to draft one of the high end quarterbacks unless they trade up, and that's really not been the Packers' way. So Jordan Love is going to be the quarterback next year. Now, is he a franchise quarterback? Is the is he the adequate Aaron Rodgers era parent that you would hope for him to be? Nah, nah, he's 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 not. I have nothing against the kid. Seemed like a uh, He seemed like a kid who's, he, I know there was some maturity problems coming out of Utah State. He seemed to really work on those because the Packers, by and large, and even I, as she said, Ozzy in the building, even I can acknowledge the Packers are a very well-run franchise, very stable. They've historically had great coaches. I don't think Matt LaFleur is one of them, but they've historically had great coaches, great culture, great fan base. Um, but there are limitations. They can't buy, they can't get free agents because nobody's going to Green Bay, Wisconsin, by will. Uh, they are a team that, has struggled to draft offensive players in the first round over the last decade or so. It's part of the reason Aaron Rodgers got so frustrated and then ultimately left. It's not so easy, Matt LaFleur, or Packer Nation, cheeseheads of all ages. It's not so easy when a four-time league MVP is no longer in the building. Now, is Aaron Rodgers more difficult than Jordan Love? Oh, you better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. I've done segment after segment about that on this very show. But the production, uh, yeah, that that ain't even a contest. So, Cheesehead Ozzy in the building. Uh, it is good to be back. You know, I, I taking a few weeks off here. But I am very much back. You better believe it. Now, let's check the comments here before Cheesehead Ozzy gets up out of here. We move to carving up the context. Hang on. Let's see. Let's look at this first comment. Patrick Brown, I know Chloe, my sister, is upset after Monday night. Cheesehead Ozzy is a very low-key troll. Oh, low-key troll, Patrick. Oh, that's... That is selling cheese at Ozzy short. Oh, he, he is. He, he's a high key troll. Is high key a word? I guess it is. Um, Listen, I got to. Uh, he's he's got to show up when he has to. Patrick, not to mention coming to America was trending as well. Prince Akeem called it back in 1988. Absolutely. Shout out Eddie Murphy and Prince Akeem. Patrick, all time Eddie Murphy. Murphy all time favorite Eddie Murphy. Okay, let me try and say that again. All time favorite. Eddie Murphy movie. There we go, as well. As Mr. McDowell said, if you want to continue working here, <laughs> stay off the drugs. If any of the younger viewers haven't seen it, I recommend it. No question about it. No question about it. And it's been uh, it's been fun. she Cheesehead Ozzy has to get out of here. But uh, get out of here, Cheesehead. I'll take the shades off for a moment. And now I'm back on Carving It Up. Very, very fun. It's a good game. I will I will say that. I know a lot of folks thought blowout. Uh, I thought Giants plus five and a half was 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 easy money. Easy money. And uh, they not only cover, they they won straight up. So hats off to those who again, that's that's why my segment is called um uh, it's called uh shoot, what is the segment called? Ah, uh, if I were a betting man. I don't bet. That's why it's segments called If I Were Batman, but for those that did bet this game, did bet the Giants plus five and a half, uh, congratulations, you won some money. So props to y'all. And Tommy DeVito, I'll say this. I'm not going to act like he's going to be this franchise quarterback for the Giants or he's the future. I don't believe any of those things to be true. It's hard to judge a guy on four games. Brian Dable said as much after the game. But this goes to show you how, how, how much coaching comes into the equation. Josh Allen, look at him with Brian Dable, look at him without Brian Dable. Daniel Jones, look at him with Brian Dable, look at him without Brian Dable. We don't know about Tommy DeVito without Brian Dable because he's only four games in. But when the, when there was, I, sh- I shouldn't say rumors, reports, when there were whispers, whispers about uh, Brian Dable potentially being let go by the Giants, I'm like, disband the franchise if they do that. This guy's one of the smartest head coaches, one of the best head coaches. Man, one coach of the year last year, rightfully so, by the way. Got Daniel Jones to playoffs, won a freaking playoff game with Daniel Jones at quarterback. Highly impressive. So uh, Brian Dable, and this this now goes out saying it's easy to say this now, but I've said this from a jump. The least of uh, of the Giants' problems. I love this comment here. I see it right here. I'm, I, I, let me put this up here by John Rivera of the Fan Perspective Podcast. He's got the he's got the the Italian Italian the, the 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 thing the hand thing that that the DeVito family and some of the Giants players and many at MetLife Stadium were doing. That's wonderful. I love it. It's a cool story, though. He's, 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 he's an easy kid to root for. You know, he, he lives at home with, with his parents. And his his mom uh, makes it. Like, listen, can you imagine Mrs. DeVito's uh, Italian food? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, he got a good uh, home-cooked meal after that game. Shout out to the DeVito family. He needs to make his bed, though. I'm not, I'm not one judge. He needs to make his bed, though. He needs to make his bed. But uh, it's a cool story. Giants are 5 and a. I know there are people are like, hey, they're a game out of the playoffs. Eh. They got at the Saints next week. Then they got to play Philly. Then they got to play the Rams. Then they got to play Philly again. It, it, it doesn't seem likely for the Giants, but certainly given how the season started, there's a lot of positives that you can take away from uh, from this four-game stretch with Tommy DeVito and what the Giants will do at quarterback. I, I'm not sure because Daniel Jones is on that contract and you and I anticipate they'll move on from, from Terod Taylor and Terod Taylor's been a model backup for a very long time in the NFL. And Of course, maybe they will keep him around to kind of mentor the kid. I don't know. The quarterback situation with the Giants is very interesting because of the money involved. I'm not sure. Because they got the old guy. I shouldn't say the old guy. The older guy, the veteran in in, in Taylor. The highly compensated guy, but not that productive of a guy in Daniel Jones. And then the kid, DeVito. But it goes to coaching. You know? Mike Tomlin when you are not stuck in the past of how to win in the National Football League and you adapt to the present and therefore by adapting to the present you put more emphasis on the quarterback position and by putting more emphasis on the quarterback position you develop the quarterback. Oh, all of a sudden he looks pretty good, doesn't he? Just a thought. As a Steelers fan, just a thought. I figured it was worth mentioning. All right. So this is one of my favorite segments of the week. I have two big ones every Wednesday. I got Bryson's Best Tim which I'll do in about 10 to 12 minutes, my top 10 teams in the NFL. And for the record, this was the most... I I have not spent more time putting together my top 10 list of NFL teams than I have uh, this week, going into week 15. Because, like, the top of the league, we kind of know. Spoiler. San Francisco, Baltimore, Dallas. We still believe Kansas City's good. All of these teams. But from about six on... From 6 to 10, there's teams that haven't been in it in a while. There's teams that, that weren't in it last week that could have been. There's teams that are out. There's teams that are maybe further back than some others might put them. So I'm just telling you right now, stay tuned for Bryce's best 10 because it will be a doozy. There's a lot of shakeup. Let's put it that way because a lot of the top teams in the league lost over the weekend. Basically, every every great team other than San Francisco, Dallas, and Baltimore lost. That's kind of what happened. So there you go. All right. It is time, however. For carving up the context. So, this week's edition of Carving Up the Context. Well, before I get into the details, it is Carving Up the Context. So, as Coach Prime, Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, we've got an interesting one. So, former NFL quarterback Cam Newton, who has his own podcast. It's called Fourth and One. He's got his own podcast now. He's got his own YouTube channel. He's got over a million subscribers. Shout out to Cam. But uh, he was talking on his show about game managers at quarterback. Now, for those that are wondering, like, what's a game manager? Well, a game manager is a type of quarterback who his job is to make the necessary throws when he has to but just don't mess the game up. Don't throw an interception that could cost you the game. He's not the type of guy game, Cam is going to talk about. I'll show you in this clip about game changers, guys, who you need to win a championship, the guys of that of that status. He was talking about four specific guys that he deems game managers, and two of them, that two of the guys that he mentioned, it rubbed me the wrong way, I must say. But before I give you my take, let's hear Cam's take. Brock, Parody, Tua to Tonga-Valoa, Jared Goff. And really... Dak Prescott. Mm. These are game managers. They're they're not difference makers. And when you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose, not to lose the game. That's listen. I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. If we're going to really call a spade a spade, a game manager is different than a game changer. Well, he is right about that last fact. A game manager is very different from a game changer, and fact of the matter is Cam Newton is one of the more productive quarterbacks that we've seen in the last decade plus or so. Cam Newton has an MVP on his resume. He has a Super Bowl appearance on his resume. He is probably the greatest rushing quarterback of all time. You could argue Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, etc. But Cam's numbers simply back it up. I believe he has the most rushing touchdowns of any quarterback ever. Uh, There's there's the guys that have come into the league similar to Cam's kind of mold, Josh Allen in particular. Big guy, mobile. And Cam Newton, listen, in his career, if you had to give me, around the time that he was in his prime, if you had to give me, hey, Bryson, pick any of the quarterbacks in the league, which one just looks like a quarterback? I'd say take Cam Newton from the Carolina Panthers. Big, strong, I mean, bigger than most quarterbacks that we're accustomed to, but big, strong, million dollar smile, good looking, productive. At one point, he had the dab, he had the signature dance move, again, got the Panthers to the Super Bowl in that one year in 2015, was getting to the playoffs, NFC South champions, and if I just, if you had to tell me, Give me a a quarterback. What does a quarterback look like? I would say, give me Mr. Cam Newton. He he had it all, um, except for the guy. Except for the things that a couple of the guys he mentioned, they have things that Cam never had. I think it's interesting. He mentions Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy as game managers. Dak is a far more egregious one than Purdy, but nonetheless, I think both uh, it, that is a insane take. Uh, I think what's interesting is the fact that. Um, Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy know the difference between them and Cam. They're more accurate than Cam. They are not more mobile than Cam, but mobile enough in a league with mobile quarterbacks. They are more accurate. I mentioned the more accurate in Cam. They're more coachable than Cam. They're better leaders than Cam. Uh, Dak is awesome at the line of scrimmage. Purdy is great at anticipation throws. Cam was, is, was not great at either. And uh, Cam's out of the league. And Cam's been out of the league for two years. So Brock Purdy... He's a game manager, according to Cam Newton. That's really funny. So he's just, don't screw it up, Brock. According to Pro Football Focus, the guy who's a game manager, Brock Purdy, is ranked first by Pro Football Focus in terms of passing grade. This By the way, this stat is, is on twenty yard, throws of 20 or more yards down the field. Here's where Brock Purdy ranks according to Pro Football Focus. He has a passing grade of 99.2. That ranks first in the NFL. He has a passer rating 138.5, second in the NFL. He is tied for fourth in completions with 27. He's tied for first in touchdowns with nine and has the best completion percentage, again, on throws of more than 20 yards down the field of 65.8. A game manager, in the simplest terms, again, as Cam mentioned, as I mentioned before, Cam's uh, take right there that you heard, is a don't mess it up guy. You can make somewhat of a case that that is Tua and that that is Jared Goff. I'm hiring Goff the most, but I would understand that take by anybody. It is insanity. It is ludicrous. And it is simply not watching the games, the tape, or looking at the advanced stats to say that Brock Purdy is that. And Dak Prescott. Far more egregious. What's interesting too, if you think about Dak Prescott and Cam Newton, has Dak reached the highs that Cam has? No, he hasn't. Although I'd argue this season he's in the midst of doing just that. He's about to win league MVP just like Cam did in 2015. He's not going to go 15 and one or In this case, 16-1 and or 15-2, he's not going to do that. But he has the Cowboys in the best position they've ever been into in a Super Bowl since the 90s. So you have that uh, component on there. But Dak has not reached the emotional and and statistical and, uh, I don't know, spiritual high, so to speak, at least at the quarterback position, as Cam has. He's certainly not reached the lows that Cam has, and that matters. Let's look, because this is very interesting. I looked at this earlier today. I'm like, hmm. Let's look at Cam Newton's stats in his entire career, which appears to be over, and compare it to Dak's stats. The game manager, Dak Prescott. Let's check their stats. Oh, oh, wait. Cam Newton played basically 30 games more, 30-plus games more than Dak Prescott has played and Dak only has four fewer wins. Dak has a significantly better completion percentage than Cam. He has significantly more pass yards per game than Cam. He has just as many touchdowns as Cam with 52 less interceptions than Cam. He has a far better passer rating than Cam. And their playoff records, I mean, tomato tomato. Dak two and four, Cam three and four. Might as well be identical. Dak's better than Cam. From start to finish. I thought this was interesting as well. You know, game manager, Cam Newton. Is the guy to tell us who's a difference maker. Did you know that Cam Newton never, never, you can check it out yourself, had a had a back had back to back seasons of winning seasons. Now he had three straight years of making the playoffs, but 2013 winning season, 2014. They went 7-8-1 and and won a terrible NFC South. Sounds very familiar to today, by the way. The NFC South is just, it's in the dumps right now. Kind of like it was in 2014. And then 2015, he broke through. He got to the the Panthers to the Super Bowl. He was amazing. He was the MVP, and frankly, deservedly so. But, uh, yikes. Since that Super Bowl appearance, Cam Newton, the guy who's definitely not a game manager, went 23-37 after his MVP year. And... In his final year in the league, the last time we saw Cam Newton, he was cut by the Patriots in favor of Mac Jones. And when signed by the Carolina Panthers, re-signed, I should say, by the Carolina Panthers later that year, he was benched for P.J. Walker. But Dak's not a difference maker. Brock Purdy is not a difference maker. They are not the difference between... Winning games and losing games. People talk about the Panthers being in this compromised position that they're in now. Where they're not just irrelevant, they are easily the worst team in the league. Were they much better with Cam? Well, they were better with Cam. They were, though, irrelevant, though. 2016 missed the playoffs. 2017, they got back to the playoffs and lost to the Saints. 2018, they collapsed at the end of the season. 2019, Cam got hurt early on. 2020, he was with the Patriots. They went 7-9. and In 2021, they cut him, and then he went to the Panthers and went 0-5. Don't lose the game, he says. Well, Cam, in the middle of his, I guess you could say, athletic prime, because we kind of think of the prime years for athletes, around like 28, 29 years old to around 33, 34 years old. It's like a four- or five-year stretch. So Brock Purdy's a game manager, and Dak Prescott's a game manager. You know what I think Cam sees? He sees a guy in Dak who has very good tangibles and amazing intangibles. And the same can be said about Brock Purdy, by the way. He sees those guys. He sees the mold for quarterbacks today, and he knows he's not it. Guys like Joe Flacco are still playing in the NFL and, frankly, playing well. Brian Hoyer is playing in the NFL. They're playing in the NFL this year. Didn't play well, but he's still in the NFL. Older backup quarterbacks, still kicking. Aaron Rodgers, still in the the NFL. We are actually having questions about whether or not Aaron Rodgers can come back from a blown Achilles at age 39. Because those guys, by and large, were accurate. Good team guys. Aaron, not so much. But Aaron's talent is, is some of the greatest we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And Cam's is not. So Dak, by and large, Give me Dak Screer. Give me Cam Screer. I'll take Dak's Andy Day of the Week. His stats, we could put them up one more time. One more time. Dak Newton, Dak Prescott versus Cam Newton. Dak has a better record. Dak has a better completion percentage. Dak has more pass yards per game. Dak has just as many touchdowns as Cam with 52 less interceptions. Dak has a pass rating 14 points better than Cam Newton and only has one fewer playoff win than Cam Newton. It's In some instances, the same guy. In some cases, a more productive guy. And Brock Purdy. And listen, I I have pushed back against the idea that Brock Purdy is the MVP over Dak Prescott. But do I think he's a franchise quarterback? Oh, no question. Accuracy is off the charts. Leadership is off the charts. Mobility is very good. Anticipation throws. He's one of the best, if not the best in the NFL, outside of probably Joe Burrow. Game manager, huh? The way I see it. According to Vegas. Top two for MVP. I'll leave it at that. Got a lot of comments here. Uh, My man Parnell. What's up, Parnell? He says, in fairness to Cam, Dak and Purdy were never as dynamic as Cam. Dak was a game manager in the first three years because of Zeke and how great Zeke and the offensive line was. Dak, over the years, has improved. I don't know about better leader than Cam. Uh, Cam was a better leader than you give him credit for. For Purdy, he's considered mid because the offense around him. Well, the the numbers... uh, Advanced and, and face value scream, Brock Purdy is not mid. He's simply not. Uh, do I think he's top 10? Probably not. But do I think he's 11, 12? Yeah, but that ain't mid. Uh, Parnell, plus Tua has shown he can be more than just a game manager. The problem with Tua was Brian Flores and injuries. That is absolutely fair. Plus, is Parnell still, plus Cam hasn't had the receivers or weapons that Dak had. Uh, Fair enough, Uh, Cam never had anybody as good as CeeDee Lamb, but I would argue Dak certainly never had a tight end as good as Greg Olson. Is it fair to say that? And since Dak, because, listen, Parnell is right. I'll pull up Parnell's first comment. He said, said, Dak was a game manager in the first three years because of Zeke and the O-line. Absolutely true. I do not disagree with a single word of that but he's evolved into something different. Folks, he threw for 4,900 yards and 30 touchdowns in 2019. In 2020, in the limited action, he had him five games. Folks, he had the most passing yards through five games in the history of the NFL to start a season before his ankle snapped. In 2021, 4,800 yards and was it 37 touchdowns, which happens to be a Cowboys record. This year, I mean, last year was an outlier. We all kind of acknowledge that. This year now. Uh, leading vote getter for not vote getter, they haven't voted yet. Leading uh, candidate for MVP, most touchdown passes in the league, one of the best in terms of passer rating QBR. Let's see. Patrick says Cam Newton is a little bit is a little beside himself that he's not playing. Dak and Brock are having awesome seasons. whereas Cam's ego has kept him away from football? Dak over Cam any day of the week, no doubt about it. Parnell. Cam also never had a route uh, route runner like a great route runner like Amari. Yes. But I'll ask you this, Parnell. As inaccurate as Cam was, do you think he would have gotten the ball to Amari as well as Dak did? Because if you remember, Amari Cooper had an amazing rookie season in 2015. Had, I think, a pretty good season in 16. 17, not the same guy. First six games of 18, not even close to the same guy. Gets Dak Prescott, boom. Offense takes off in Dallas at the end of 2018 and going into 2019. Parnell, some of those numbers in 2019, Dak put up empty calorie numbers. Plus, against good teams, he struggled. I mean, I could show you multiple games against good teams in which he took them down the wire. I could show you the Saints game. I could show you the Vikings game. Both of those teams made the playoffs. Uh, Now, the Eagles game, if you want to hold that game against him be my guest. That's one of the worst games of Dak's career. Did he have a shoulder injury? Yes, but we're not going to give you that that excuse when you're one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We wouldn't give it to to Mahomes. Now, Mahomes is better than Dak, obviously. We wouldn't give it to Josh Allen. We wouldn't give it to some of these guys, so we're not going to give it to Dak. Um, but still, at the end of the day, forty nine hundred yards, forty nine hundred yards. Like that's Dak was top five in passing yards that year. Would I have? Would I say he's a top five quarterback that year? Of course, I wouldn't say that. Absolutely not. But this notion, and I've I've heard a lot of this. Oh, Dak is. This is we've we've never seen Dak look better. Yes, that is true. But oh, th- this is we've we've Dak has never sniffed elite until this year. Uh the numbers, the film, the wins. Everything that matters literally says the exact opposite. Like, that's one of the things that I got a kick out of with Dak is the first three years of his career, the Dak, I wouldn't even call them haters, the Dak skeptics were saying, yeah, he's winning, but his stats, eh, not great. Well, then the next couple of years... Dak's uh, the wins are not there. The Cowboys went, I think it was eight and eight in 2019, and then in 2020, yeah, in 2020 they were like two and three if you include the game that Dak got hurt, and they were one and three going into that game. But Dak's numbers were off the charts. Well, starting in 2021, the numbers were amazing. The wins were there. Well, win the playoffs. Well, 2022 he does win in the playoffs. He actually just so happened to retire the greatest player in the history of the sport with a four touchdown game. I'm just saying. This, 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 this all matters. And now this year, the wins are there. The stats are there. Shocker, shocker. And I can tell you right now, only time will tell, but Dak stays healthy. Big knock on wood there. That is going to remain the case. And as for Brock Purdy, listen, I know there's, I, I, I I'm very careful when I talk Dak and Purdy for MVP because I never want to make it sound like that. I am anti-Purdy because there are some people I, I watch on television, listen to radio that are like legit anti-Purdy and I don't get it. Act like, oh, he's just Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0. No, he's not. He is simply not. The numbers back it up. The film backs it up. Kyle Shanahan's trust in him, which is reflected in the film, backs it up. He's a better D-ball thrower, more mobile than than, than Garoppolo, a better decision maker than Garoppolo ever was. And so I think Purdy is a franchise guy. I've said that for a while now. And to act like he is some game manager, if you took Purdy off the Niners, their backup is Sam Darnold. Do I think they'd still be good? Absolutely, because their roster is loaded. Do I think they'd be a Super Bowl contender? No, I I don't. If they matched up against Dallas or Philly, I'd take Dallas or Philly. I simply would. And if you did Dak off the Cowboys, we've seen what they are offensively with that Dak. And it ain't pretty. They struggle to break. They're like the they are the Cowboys by the numbers are the Pittsburgh Steelers when Dak misses games. I mean, there's one game in 2021 against Minnesota where there's an outlier, but I think there was one game, and I think it was I think it was last year one of the games Dak missed when they played the Rams and Cooper Rush threw for like barely to uh, barely 100 yards, so and that's not a shot Cooper Rush because he's a good backup, but the offense drops precipitously when Dak is missing in action, no question. And ever since Purdy took over for Garoppolo, the Niners' offenses has reached new heights, but uh, Cam Newton is uh is dead wrong here, Patrick. Cam's immature behavior after losing the Super Bowl done it. He's never recovered, and that's where his career took a whirlwind. Yeah, it's, it's, listen, I, I, I am, I will never be the guy to tell an athlete how to react to a loss. Never. Um, and it, as a fan, when your team loses, especially loses a championship, I speaking from experience as a Warriors fan, it freaking sucks. It, I mean, it's, it sticks with you all week. You can't focus on school and work. It is, it, it sucks. Now magnify that about hundred times with a, with an athlete. It it is, I mean it's awful. And however, I am I am especially this way with quarterbacks way more than any position. I think there is a way at the quarterback posi- position in which you are to conduct yourself. And still, people that Cam Newton press conference after that Super Bowl was a an abject disaster. I remember at the time Deion Sanders calling him out for it. It was it was bad. And yeah, Cam really hasn't been the same player since. He really hasn't been. More comments. Parnell. Plus, we have to stop bringing up win loss as a quarterback stats. If if win loss record matters, then Dak is better than Herbert. First of all, Parnell, Dak is better than Herbert. He's beaten him twice, outplayed him twice. But uh, but I I do agree with you. I'll put up your first comment. Uh, yes, win loss. I, I have. I am. 1,000% in agreement with you that win-loss is not always a quarterback stat. That's why, again, I pushed back on the Jimmy Garoppolo thing for years that yeah, if you look at Jimmy G's win percentage, it's like top eight all time. <laughs> it's like he's not even, and it'd be like guys like Aikman, Montana, Brady. I'm like, he's not even close to these guys. So yes, wins is not, let's put it this way, Parnell. I think if we judge a quarterback strictly off of wins and losses, it can be a bit misleading. But it certainly isn't irrelevant. It isn't something we should just act like doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter that Tom Brady has won more games than anybody. Now, does the Super Bowl championships help? Of course they help. Um, but oftentimes, the guys at the top of those lists, they're all Hall of Famers. So wins do matter at some point. Now, in the case of Herbert, he's talking about Herbert there. And, and, and again, i that, that might sound harsh that Dak is better than Herbert, has outplayed a Herbert in, in both occasions that they've um, that they faced off against one another. And Dak's production has been off the charts, but I've been a Herbert guy from the jump and I don't put a, a, a big portion of the blame uh, for the chargers failures on him. I I, I don't, I, I have been at the front of that line. I remember when they, they made the move for, 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 uh, for Kellen Moore and they kept Brandon Staley. I'm like, man, I feel sorry for the guy. I feel sorry for Justin Herbert. He's got an incompetent head coach. He's got a clueless offensive coordinator. Now, Dak's never had an incompetent head coach Garrett. I was never a fan of, but Garrett was not incompetent. He had winning seasons before Dak and, and Kellen Moore. Dak had him and had some success, but then in other cases, didn't. Patrick, Dak is mature, a leader, poised, and, <laughs> excuse me. Sorry, I choked at myself so reading this comment. And dress is better than Cam. Once Cam disrespected the female reporter, his endorsements started to fan out. Dak gained, gained an upper hand in that regard. Yeah, I actually remember when Cam said what he said. Uh, I remember he insulted the female reporter. He said, uh, he said, it's funny to hear a female, and he like, emphasized female, talk about routes. It's like, like, dude, it's that. That's, I mean, that's the, that's as sexist as it gets. I mean, half NFL fans are women, and for the record, you know, I, 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 I try to give love where it's due to people on on all networks because I want to give love where it's due because I think these people work incredibly hard. Uh, you ever seen Mina Kimes' breakdown down film in ESPN? I promise you, women no routes. Let's put it that way, Cam. But uh, yeah, I remember da- uh, Cam lost his his Oikos yogurt. I think it's called Oikos uh, yogurt uh, sponsorship an endorsement and I think Dak got it when it was all said and done. I don't think Dak's with them anymore, but it's funny that it, it passed down from from guy to guy. But the traits that make Dak and Purdy great are sustainable. The traits that make Cam great aren't. So there you go. That's where I'm at with that. But yeah, on this week's edition with Carving Up the Context, Cam Newton talking about Dak and Purdy as game managers. Nah no, he 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 way off. Just like his fashion as as. Let's see, Parnell. No, he's not. Bryson, you know, Dak is not better than Herbert. Not a GM or anyone other than a Cowboy fan would take Dak Prescott over Justin Herbert. Well, listen. Let's let's say the shoe is on the other foot, Parnell. Let's say Dak Prescott is playing a playoff game, uh, in which he is facing a quarterback, uh, an up and coming young quarterback. And let's say we've had questions about McCarthy and Jason Garrett. Fire Jason Garrett was the hashtag at the end of every Cowboy season, was it not? Let's say Dak was facing a quarterback had a twenty. 20- Seven to nothing lead and scored three points in the second half and lost. Let's say Dak in multiple games this season. Uh, I, let me make sure I'm getting this number right. Because again, Kellam Moore does have, uh, does have a, I'm sorry. Justin Herbert does have Kellen Moore. Dak had him for, was it four years? I think it was. Dak made the playoffs twice. Uh, Herbert is obviously going to miss. Now Herbert went down, but they were never in the playoff discussion with him. And again, I don't want to I don't make it sound like I don't like Herbert. I love Herbert. I think Herbert's one of the eight best quarterbacks in the league. It's not even close. But there are, let's let's do the math. One, two, one, two, three. Let's go. Four, five, six. Six games this season that Justin Herbert has had in which, I'm sorry, five games that Justin Herbert has had this season in which he's had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead or tie the game, he's 0 for 5. That matters. If If we're splitting the margins, Dak, on the other hand, we saw that game against Seattle two weeks ago, was absolute money. Could not have played better. Went down to the Seattle Seahawks in the fourth quarter. Parnell, beside record, what does Dak do better than Herbert? Well, he's more physically durable uh, than Herbert, at least has been uh, certainly this season, Herbert with the injury. Uh, Dak has shown an ability to be better at the line of scrimmage than Herbert. Dak is more accurate than Herbert. Dak at times has shown himself to be more mobile than Herbert. And Herbert's mobile. We saw that in Oregon, but we hasn't really shown that this season. Dak has. Dak L, I mean, would Dak not kill for a Mike Williams as his number two receiver? Because Herbert's got Keenan Allen, Dak has CeeDee Lamb. Well, I think CeeDee's better than than Keenan Allen, although Keenan Allen's still pretty good. Dak would kill. Now, he's been hurt, but would kill for Mike Williams as his number two. Dak would kill for an Austin Eckler as his running back. Dak would, I mean, listen, Rashawn Slater, Tyron Smith's good. Rashawn Slater's a better left tackle. So what does he do better? A lot of things. More accurate than Herbert, more mobile than Herbert, um I think I don't think Herbert's a bad leader. I think he's more of a a quiet lead by example type of guy, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But Dak is the heart and soul of the Dallas Cowboys. The heart, everything runs everything starts and ends with Dak Prescott in that Cowboys locker room. I don't think that's the case with Justin Herbert in LA. Does that mean I don't think he's good? No, I think he's amazing. I I said I don't have the graphic here, but I did a segment like 2 months ago where I talked about um Blank check quarterbacks. Guys, eight guys in the NFL that I would say, you know what? If they came to my negotiation table, blank check. I'm fine with paying them whatever to keep them around. It was, in no particular order, it was Mahomes, it was Burrow, Allen, Lawrence, Dak, Hertz, Herbert, and Lamar. It was those eight guys. I'm not willing to put Purdy in there yet. I'm definitely not willing to put Goff in there yet. Stroud has been amazing. I need to see him do it another year from before he put, goes in that uh, category. Patrick Brown, uh, Herbert, if Herbert had a real coach and an offensive coordinator, I'll leave it there. Herbert is a sensational talent, but is being wasted with Brandon Staley. There's no question about that. No question about that. Um, but again, if we're splitting the margins, Dak was still very good. He was, he was excellent. It was excellent in 2021 with Kellen Moore. Herbert is having the worst season of his career. With Kellamore. Now I put more than Kellamore, but it was better. Parnell. Tim Tebow has a better record than Big Ben. Would you take Tebow over Big Ben? Of, of course not. Eli beat Brady twice in the Super Bowl. Is he better than Brady? Of course not. But that's that's not the only thing that I, I you heard me mention. Parnell. Dak's more accurate. Dak's a, a has been more durable physically. Uh, Dak has shown an ability to be more mobile than Herbert. Dak is better outside the pocket than Herbert. Dak's a better leader than Justin Herbert. Dak has, was more successful with the offensive coordinator that Herbert currently has. That matters. Uh, all of these things, uh, you know, listen, as bad as Brandon Staley is, as much as I think he should lose his job at season's end, should have been lost his job last year after the Jaguars loss. Herbert's had the ball in his hands five times, fourth quarter, chance to tie a win, 0 for 5. We'd be crushing Dak if that were the case. Actually, we did in 2019. Dak had a resume very similar to that in 2019. We crushed Dak. In many ways, rightfully so. We didn't do that with Herbert. I mean, we didn't. So that's, that. to me, that's a false equivalency, partner. It isn't just, did he beat him? It factors in. It's a factor. It's not the factor. Yeah, Tebow did beat Big Ben in a playoff game. and actually kind of outplayed Big Ben. Um, Eli beat Brady twice. Outplayed Brady both times. Of course, nobody would take Eli over Brady. Nobody would take Tebow over Ben. It is a factor. It is not the factor. Parnell, it's like a full-blown <laughs> debate now. And then we'll move to Bryce's best 10 after this. Parnell, CeeDee Lamb is better than all of those receivers on the Chargers. Johnston with key drops and Williams can't stay healthy other than Eckler. What else? Well, first of all, Eckler's better than Tony Pollard and was better than is better than anything Ezekiel Elliott put out from 2019 on to last year. And now, Johnston, you, you got me. I was dead wrong about Johnston. Dead wrong about Johnston. Uh, okay, how about this? I totally forgot. It's a Tennessee guy. How about Joshua Palmer? Joshua Palmer's been a very productive receiver in the NFL. Now, if you had to give me Josh Palmer, Brandon Cooks, I'd take Brandon Cooks. But Palmer's the Chargers three, went healthy. Mike Williams has been better. So again, yes, are we splitting hairs? Of, of course. But I listen, I've said from a jump. Dak's been more successful in the playoffs than Herbert. Dak has worked with an offensive coordinator uh, that Herbert has and is having the worst season of his career. Uh, Dak has been able to, to show a, a level of um, consistently in terms of leadership. Parnell, I think the Spanos family is wasting away Herbert. We know how cheap they are. No question. And they're, they're, I'll tell you where the Spanos family is cheap. They're cheap at head coach because I remember Terry Bradshaw was on television like a month ago, and he said that Sean Payton, who worked with Bradshaw Fox, that he wanted to go to the Chargers. He wanted to coach Justin Herbert, and they wouldn't want to pay him. They didn't want to uh, to give up the necessary compensation to the Saints, uh, who still had who, the rights to Payton's contract. And they wouldn't pay for Sean Payton, so they kept Brandon Staley. They're cheap in that regard, but I will say this. The Chargers have, I think I, I read the stat uh, about a, a month or so ago, the Chargers have the second most expensive defense in the NFL. So they're willing to pay for defense. They paid for Herbert. Um, they're definitely going to pay for Rashawn Slater, I would think. Eckler's probably a goner after this season, but only time will tell. Keenan Allen is, has, has made solid money over the course of his career, so... They've been cheap with coaches, yes, not cheap with the current players that they have. Let's put it that way. All right. Let's turn it into it. This went from Cam criticizing Dak and Purdy to Dak versus Herbert. But nonetheless, we we have to move on. So this was easily the most difficult I've or the, the most uh trouble I've had putting together Bryson's best 10. It really was. Because aside from a select few top teams in the national football, like aside from a select uh, top few, basically every team we consider, some may not, some may, but every team that's generally considered a Super Bowl contender, all of them but three loss, all of them. And so what do you do with those teams? What do you do with those teams that are on the fringes, kind of wild card teams? I thought hard about it. I looked at the numbers, looked at the stats, looked at the games, looked at their recent history. I said, okay, I'm going to put this together. And so it is now time for this week's edition of Bryson's Best 10. So let's get the background music going and look at our first uh, our first team on Bryson's Best 10. We got the background music. There we go. All right. Okay, sorry. I had to get the music lined up there. Okay. Okay. The 10th best team in the National Football League dropping three, sorry, four spots from last week. It is the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins dropped to 10th on Bryson's best team this week, and here is why. Last Monday night, this past Monday night, was about as inexcusable a loss as you could possibly think of for a championship contender. Miami had multiple opportunities where Tennessee blew it on special teams. Miami got a pick six by a defensive tackle. You can call it a thick six if you want to do such a thing. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa was unable to sustain long drives. Tyree Kill went down, and when he went down, the Dolphins offense went down, which is why I say I think Tyree Kill is the second, is number two for MVP this year. That aside, uh, Miami's defense struggled to stop Will Levis. A 14-point lead blown in a three-minute span. I have always really liked Miami. I've never loved them. I think Tua has proven to me he's a franchise quarterback. Tyreek Hill has proven for a long time he's one of, if not the best receiver, certainly this year, the best receiver in the sport. Jalen Waddell productive as well. Raheem Mostert, I like what they bring to the table, but they have a key fatal flaw that their head coach's mentor, Kyle Shanahan, also has. It's the only weakness of the 49ers. I don't trust them playing from behind. It's not that I don't trust the Dolphins to play from behind. It's that I don't trust the Dolphins when a little bit of adversity hits. I mean, my gosh, they get blown out by Buffalo. They they lose to Kansas City when things aren't going perfectly offensively. They lose to Philadelphia. They score 10 offensive points against a terrible Eagles pass defense. We've seen the, what the Eagles have done the last few weeks on defense. And in this game against Tennessee, you actually get breaks to go your way. But then when Will Levis gets hot, you blow it at the end. Miami's still a top 10 team, no question about it. Still a an outside shot at the one seed, but a devastating loss to Tennessee. As as close to an unforgivable loss as you could possibly have. The Dolphins are the 10th best team in the National Football League. Staying in the state of Florida and staying in their spot on Bryson's best 10 at number nine, it is the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars, the ninth best team in the National Football League. And here's why. You're like Bryson. Hey, Jacksonville, ninth? Yes. So with Jacksonville lost to Cincinnati, I dropped them tonight. I think I am at fifth coming into that week. They dropped tonight, and I said, I'm going to have Jacksonville kind of on the fringe top 10 until Trevor is able to be back healthy. Well, here's the problem. He played on Sunday against the Browns, and it was very much a mixed bag. He had three touchdowns, but he also had three interceptions and was outplayed by Joe Flacco. But this is now four straight games. Four, count that, four straight games for Trevor in which he had three touchdown passes. Now he's doing it with a bum ankle. So that that's, and by the, by the way, was able to put up 27 points on an awesome, awesome Cleveland Browns defense. I think it was 27, I believe, and they lost to the Browns 31-27 in that contest. Listen. I still like what Jacksonville is offensively with Calvin Ridley, Travis Tien, and of course, Trevor Lawrence doing the job. Once he gets back healthy, or at least is able to be healthy, I will fairly judge them. I still think they should have sat him against Cleveland, lost that game, sat him against Baltimore, lost that and then run the table in their last three games of the season. The Jaguars might be making the same mistake with Lawrence as the Bengals made with Burrow. Only time will tell. But today, I still see if Lawrence is healthy and even moderately healthy, they are the ninth best team in the National Football League. At number eight, I think we're doing something on Carving Up Live. We have not done since the fairly early stages of this season. We're doing so in week 15. A team with a losing record is not just in the top 10, it's in the top eight. It is... The Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are the eighth best team in the National Football League. And here is why. You're like, Pryson, this price Best 10 is getting off to a weird start. You got the Jaguars with a beat-up quarterback losing two straight at ninth. And the the Dolphins at 10th when many had them in the top five. And the the Rams losing record at eighth. Yes, I do. Here's why. I do not believe in moral victories. I think you're you're, you're paid and you play to win the game, as Herman Edwards said. However... If there was any such thing as a good loss, impressive loss, however you want to slice it, it would be Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens, a game in which Baltimore's defense came in with the number two scoring offense in all of football and all Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams did in that game. In Baltimore, by the way, with the Ravens coming off of a bye, Stafford led the Rams' offense to 31 points. All it took was a special teams error in overtime for the Rams to end up losing that game in the end. In overtime, to a Ravens team that many see As the favorites in the AFC. This is the Rams team, while Cooper Cup is still not healthy. Puka Nakua, the highest graded rookie according to Pro Football Focus. How about Matthew Stafford as well since week 11? He's fourth in touchdown to interception ratio, sixth in passer rating, and second in touchdown pass percentage, and fourth in 20-yard completion. So Matthew Stafford is quietly having one of the better seasons of his career given the circumstances. Sean McVay is still a brilliant head coach, and the defense, while they didn't play well on Sunday, has shown glimpses of of a very talented defense. The Rams, I think, are going to make the playoffs. I think they're better than Green Bay. Even though they're behind Green Bay, they're going to catch them despite their schedule. The Rams, are the 8th best team in the National Football League, despite being 6-7, having more losses than wins. At number 7, they don't move just by default, uh, so to speak, because the teams that lost in front and behind them, the Detroit Lions. And listen, uh, the Detroit Lions are the 7th best team in the NFL. Here's why. I am um, I'm not feeling so good about my preseason prediction. I predicted the Lions to get to the NFC title game coming into this year, and... Uh, not looking so hot it's it's not the lions have dropped three of their last four games the defense has struggled massively against uh or excuse, i'm sorry the lions have lost i think sorry two of their last three yeah the lions have struggled in the last uh month or so the lions have lost two of their last three games uh this season lose to the packers Losing to, uh, to 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 the the Bears in blowout fashion, by the way, on the road. I did pick Chicago to win that game, but this Detroit Lions defense—I've been ringing the alarm bell for a long time. They're struggling to hold teams to forget uh, under 20, just under 24. Teams are going up and down the field on Justin Fields did it twice. Jordan Love is struggling now, did that. Uh, Derek Carr and at times Jameis Winston with the Saints, a terrible Saints offense at times, went up and down the field on this Lions defense. Now, I still love this offense. I think they'll bounce back. I like their personnel and what they have there in terms of the coaching staff with Ben Johnson and with Dan Campbell, for that matter. They have got to fix the defense. Can they? If they will, they can put themselves sort of on the fringe of the contenders in the NFC. But right now, I have Detroit kind of where they belong as the seventh best team in the National Football League. This next ranking makes me sick, but I have to call it how I see it. A team that was not in Bryce's best 10 last week now jumps to number six. It is the Cleveland Browns. The Browns. The hated Browns as a Steelers fan are the eighth best team. I'm sorry, the sixth best team rather in the NFL. Here's why. So Cleveland... Was winning their games solely off of great defense and solid running game, kind of the old school way. Now, there is a cap on this, there is a ceiling to this in terms of how long it can last and whether or not it translates to playoff success in the modern NFL. It does not. But, uh, Joe Flacco, how about Joe Flacco? Okay, he's signed off his couch against a Rams defense. We see what they're capable of doing. And had a pass rating in the mid-70s and a couple touchdown passes. Then he shows up against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, albeit they're reeling. But Joe Flacco goes out there and throws three touchdowns and has a pass rating of 92. This man was, was was on his couch just weeks ago. Now he's leading the Browns to big time wins and look, showing glimpses of the 2012 playoff run. Elite de- debate discussion. Joe Flacco. He's playing really good football. It, it, I'm telling you, with the Browns get great quarterback play, they're about as tough as tough of a team to beat in the NFL as there is. With their running game, with Ford and with uh, with Kareem Hunt and that great offensive line, And they did lose. Uh, they did lose one of their offensive linemen for the season, which is brutal. Miles Garrett's playing amazing. The Browns secondary, while he's injured as well. Frankly, everybody's injured at this stage of the year. Who's more injured than others? Uh, The Browns are playing great defense and really, really productive offensively. Cleveland, much as I hate to say it, the sixth best team in the National Football League. At number five, dropping a spot from last week, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the fifth best team in the NFL, and here's why. First off, I believe this is Kansas City's lowest ranking on Bryce's best ten, and for good reason. They've lost three of their last four games. The offense seems to be in a complete a state of, of shock right now. Mahomes is not playing anywhere close to his best football. Obviously, we saw the play late Sunday against the, the Buffalo Bills, in which the uh, touchdown from t- t- from Mahomes to Kelsey to Tony was called back because Tony was offsides. and I think Mahomes' frustration as I talked about on Monday's show had a lot to do with the fact that he felt like that was Kansas City's last punch in that football game. Now, their defense is playing well. They did hold Buffalo's high-powered offense to 20. Uh, they, they played very well after Buffalo went up 14 to nothing in the first half, only giving up two field goals after that. I still believe kansas city can get it right i do i think the, the the coaching is there the quarterback play is there they still have a hall of fame tied it and i do like rasheed rice a lot more than most and the defense is excellent so they are still very much a contender i don't think anybody in their right mind would be shocked if the chiefs end up in vegas in super bowl 58 but at the end of the day i cannot lie by what i've seen from them offensively they have not shown it uh, over the last few weeks really most of the season if not all season long the chiefs While they still have a great defense, an awesome quarterback, and an awesome coach, and still a productive tight end, albeit he seems to be showing signs of age, the offensive line struggling, Pacheco is out. The Chiefs right now are the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, they drop a spot from a week ago, it is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are the fourth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, They've suffered a not one, but two straight blowouts to the two teams that I have above them in the conference, that obviously being San Francisco and Dallas, losing 42-19 to to San Francisco at home, mind you, and then 33-13 to the Dallas Cowboys. To the Eagles' credit, by and large, their offense has been overwhelmingly productive. They came into that Cowboys game with the 6th-ranked scoring offense, in all of football, so they were productive in that regard. Jalen Hurts playing pretty good football. Uh, some of the best football of his career, given the fact that he's hurt, given the fact that he's had to play from behind in a lot of these games. But this Philadelphia Eagles defense is absolutely positively atrocious in virtually every way, shape, and form. If you look at their numbers over the course of this uh, first part of the season, they're 28th in opponent points per game, 30th in opponent red zone touchdown percentage, dead last in the NFL in opponent third down percentage, 28th in opponent pass yards per game, 31st in opponent touchdown to interception ratio, and 29th in opponent passer rating. So this Eagles defense can't stop a nosebleed and Jalen Hurts and the offense is kind of struggling for it. They're not playing complimentary football. They have a massive game against Seattle and I think this is an opportunity for Philadelphia to say yes we are contenders. We are the defending NFC champions. We have an elite quarterback and, a, and a, at least a competent defense, although they have shown that at all this season. I think the Eagles still have the capability. They still have the roster to potentially get to and win a Super Bowl, but right now I'm not liking what I'm seeing from them. The Eagles are the fourth best team in the National Football League. At number three, it is the Baltimore Ravens, and now this obviously... Makes me sick as well as a Steelers fan, but the Ravens, can't lie about what I'm seeing, they are the third best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, I thought that win against the Rams, and by this list, you know how highly I think of the Rams, Think even with the losing record, they're the eighth best team. I think the, the way Baltimore has been winning the last month, especially with the Mark Andrews injury, Consider the fact that they've had a great defense, they've been able to stop teams from really getting to anywhere between 15 and 20 points. They've been playing well, but the outfits have kind of sputtered ever since Andrews went down. But for them to play a Rams defense that have been hot, hot, hot as of late. And to score 37 points, albeit six of those came on a special team touchdown at the very end. But Lamar Jackson playing outstanding football, running the football, throwing the football. Um, the, the Baltimore Ravens' running game seems to be in good shape. Odell Beckham Jr. seems to be more and more comfortable in this offense. And because of that win, yes, Lamar has to at some point at least creep into the MVP discussion with about a month of play to go. I like what I'm seeing from the Ravens' offense. Listen, every defense, especially when facing a hot quarterback and a hot team, which the Rams are, every defense is... is has the right to have a bad game every once in a while. They showed, like what a lot of Super Bowl contenders show, they can win in multiple different ways. The Ravens showed you that in that game. They are the third best team in the National Football League. At number two, staying right where they were at from a week ago, it is the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are the second best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So look. It goes without saying that Dak Prescott has been the best quarterback in the league this season, is the MVP this season, and if you look at uh, what he's been doing statistically uh, this year, he's been absolutely phenomenal. In the Cowboys' five-game winning streak, he's graded first by pro football focus at a grade of 93.8, 15 touchdown passes to one interception. The thing that shocked me the most about Dallas, and I don't know if it's sustainable, but I liked what I saw nonetheless, is the fact that against a great Philadelphia Eagles defensive front with Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, and company, The Cowboys were able to rush for 138 yards and about 4.3 yards per carry. So Dak did not have to be Superman for the Cowboys to win this game. CeeDee Lamb is still one of the most productive receivers in the sport, third in the NFL, I believe, in receiving yards. And given the weapons Philly has, given the desperation Philly has with the division on the line, with the one seed potentially on the line as well, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard back in the lineup. Stephon Gilmore had one of the better games of his career, forcing a fumble. The Cowboys forced three in on this game. This defense is finding its way. Their top five, uh, or sorry, yeah, top five, top ten in the NFL in scoring defense. The Cowboys offense is one of, if not the best offense in the NFL, and it all stems from Rain, Dakota, Prescott, the MVP of the NFL. The Cowboys are the second best team in the National Football League, and retaking, I should say retaking, maintaining their rightful place at number one. It is the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are the best team in the NFL and here's why so first of all San Francisco's been number one longer or more weeks than any team this season the Ravens have been number one the Lions were number one at one point the Chiefs have been number one before Baltimore number one in here I'm sorry uh San Francisco number one and here's why so they're taking on a Seahawks team again desperation matters and divisional familiarity matters and I get Drew Locke was starting at quarterback for Seattle I get that Brock Purdy having one of his more impressive games of uh, of, his, of his very young career. 368 through the air. couple touchdown passes and a pass rating of 122. George Kittle was very good. And a touchdown. Debo Samuel was once again awesome, as was Christian McCaffrey. This Niners offense, when healthy, is absolutely the best in the NFL. This Niners team when healthy is absolutely the best in the NFL. I love what I'm seeing on all fronts in every way, shape, and form. Uh, San Francisco, it, again, if everybody's there, if everybody's good to go physically, um, I I think only Dallas, Baltimore, and maybe Kansas City can beat them in a potential playoff game. And mentioned, you notice only one of those teams, Dallas, is an NFC team. But the Niners, you see what they're doing against great teams. You see what they're doing when healthy. They are the best team in the National Football League. And if I could pull up a graphic real quick, I'm pretty sure I downloaded it uh, about who I thought was the best team. So we can just recap, have them all in one graphic here. All right, pulling it up because I just want to, it's nice to see like the whole big picture of where I've got it going into week 15. Here we go. So there you go. There's my top 10 teams right there. Uh, From one to 10, I got the Niners, Cowboys, Ravens, Eagles, Chiefs, Browns, Lions, Rams, Jaguars, and then finishing off with the Miami Dolphins. I did not like what I saw from Miami in that game whatsoever. Let's see. Patrick Brown's in the comments. He says the NFL will play its first ever game in Brazil in 2024. I did love to see that news. NFL trying to expand the game as much as they have as as much as they can globally. We know they've obviously had games for many years in London. They've had games in Germany, which i got to admit, of all the international atmospheres that the NFL, where they've taken the NFL overseas, I think Germany might be my favorite. I think the fans, the energy is off the charts. They sing uh, Take Me Home Country Road by John Denver. I'm like, man, this is Germany. But it's really cool. The atmosphere between the Bucks and the Seahawks there was great last year in Germany. The Chiefs and the Dolphins game was a great atmosphere as well. So, uh, But it's to see the game extended to Mexico City, uh, we've had games there as well, and now Brazil. Great, great stuff. I'm curious to see who they'll have them playing in Brazil. But that'll be very, very fun. It'll be great for the NFL and great for... Brazil no question about that I I don't know where in Brazil they're having the game I think Schefter reported earlier if I can pull it up because thank you for mentioning that Patrick Adam Schefter where is he there he is okay so Schefter said according uh, according to sources today that if I can pull it up yeah I, I hope I'm saying this correctly my Espanol is average at best uh, São Paulo, São Paulo. I get I is how you say it. Anybody who's fluent in, in Spanish, I apologize if, if if I butchered that. But that's where, uh, where the game will be. That will be the site of the NFL's first regular season game in Brazil. So there you go. Yeah, thanks for letting. Thanks for sending that, Patrick. Because that's that's great for the league. Anytime you can grow the game is is always a plus. And that's if people get on Goodell, and and I think his. My my one criticism of Roger has been his inconsistencies in terms of um, domestic violence, but outside of that, I think he's been an A plus commissioner. He's worth every penny, and he's a commissioner's job is to make the game better and to grow the league, and he's done both. So props to Goodell. All right, before we get out of here, and I usually I brat music when I when I predict games, I really do. This one, simply put, does not deserve it. This this game does not deserve background music, and I will be as brief as possible because I know nobody. I, I keep it real with y'all. Nobody really cares about this game. The L.A. Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders from Vegas, from Allegiant Stadium, where the Super Bowl will be played, and there's no question we will see better a better game in February than we will see tomorrow night in Sin City. But the Raiders are two-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Chargers, so darn near dead even, and certainly you can argue that's the case, at least coming into this matchup. Between the two quarterbacks, Easton Stick will be making his first start of his NFL career tomorrow, and you've got a guy in Aiden O'Connell who's going to be starting or has been starting for the vast majority of the season since Garoppolo got benched for the Las Vegas Raiders. So, look, Vegas has the weapons. Uh, The Chargers are are beat up. No Justin Herbert, no Keenan Allen. And, listen, we didn't have big expectations for the Raiders. At least I didn't coming into the season, certainly once they fire Josh McDaniels. That was a question as well. And obviously the Chargers are in a complete free fall. They're a disaster in terms of their coaching staff, they're a disaster in terms of their injury, uh, their injuries. And so listen, um, prayers for Al Michaels and Kirk, Kirk Street and Kaylee Hartung and all the Amazon crew, because they're going to have to, they're going to have to break. At least it's in good weather. It's not like it's in fr- freezing cold weather. They're going to be inside in Vegas and they're, they're worse cities to be in for a boring football game. But I will take the, if I can pull this up here, I will take the Las Vegas Raiders. 20-13. to 13. 20 might be stretching it, but the Chargers' pass defense is nothing short of atrocious. So I will take Vegas 20-13 to 13 to beat the LA Chargers. And I promise you, those that are watching, we will have much better Week 15 NFL action. We got some very good games on Saturday. There's actually a triple header of games on the NFL Network on, on Saturday. And then you got, obviously, a slew of games on Sunday as well. And the Monday Nighter is very interesting between Philadelphia and Seattle. So... Very fun, very interesting weekend of NFL action. Tomorrow night will not be one of those. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Friday at 6. Well, I shouldn't say that. Let me back up. I got too carried away. Carving It Up will be live on Friday. I'm not sure when. We will have a show that day again. It's, it's, I'll, I'll explain to you once we get to Friday, but it's, we're not going to be, you know, typical schedule in studio and in, in, in terms of the, the timing of the schedule. It likely will not be at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. That I can tell you. We will be live. More information to come in, over the, the next 48 hours, but Carving It Up will be live on Friday. Uh, I will let you know when on social media, on Twitter, X, whatever the heck they call it these days, and on Instagram as well. So definitely stay tuned on that. You can follow me on Instagram, at Carving It Up Podcast, on Twitter, at Carving It Up Pod. Also on TikTok, you see down there on the ticker, at Carving It Up Podcast as well. So I'll catch you all on Friday. Be sure to stay tuned for that. And of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. I'll put the graphic up once again. We have surpassed 6 100 subscribers to carving it up live I cannot thank y'all enough for helping us reach this milestone this threshold again the goal coming into this football season I started with about 180 some subscribers the goal is to get to 1000 by Super Bowl 58 which is February the 11th so uh 2 days ago that would be 2 months from now so I believe we can get to that goal. So if you have subscribed, thank you so much. We greatly appreciate it. Tell a friend to tell a family member, to tell their friend to tell their cousin's friend to subscribe to Carving Up Live. And if you haven't subscribed and you're listening, you're watching the show on YouTube, or even if you're listening on Spotify or anywhere else, click that subscribe button over there. Hit it, and boom, you're part of the Carving Up family. It just took you a couple of seconds. Uh, and also, just as important, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. We've got some dope content creators. My man Barry Grant Jr. put an awesome video on his personal uh, YouTube channel, the L-E-V-A Podcast. Subscribe to his show. and Subscribe to all the shows of our amazing content creators in The Grid. We, they would greatly appreciate it. We would greatly appreciate it as a network. And we are building, baby. 8 o'clock spot last night was a blast. Check the 8 o'clock spot out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time on The Grid's YouTube channel and Twitter account. Check that out for the best sports game show. Heck, best game show. Forget sports, best game show in town. Be sure to check that out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. All right. I'll see y'all on Friday when I don't know, but I will tell you ahead of time so you can tune in for NFL Predictions Week 15 as well as some other topics in the world of sports. I imagine I'll be leading the show off with Draymond Green, but it's sports, so who knows? Only time. Will tell. So, see y'all then. Please be sure to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. This is a problem that really, really needs to be addressed. And I'm very passionate about it. So, let's address this in the best way that we can. And that's demanding change from our leaders. All right. I'll see y'all on Friday. Gonna be a loaded show. NBA in all likelihood with Draymond Green, NFL picks. Maybe some other stories. Who knows? It'll be fun, but I'll see y'all then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. It was nice to have Cheesehead Ozzy back in the studio, wasn't it? Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.